1: It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me.
0: Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
1: Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
0: The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you.
1: In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book character created by Michael Bond. I love those films so much. Hugh Grant is perfect.
0: For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate acapella competitions.
1: It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college acapella. Sing it, brother. I lived college acapella. <laughs> it didn't
0: mean literally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse and the two Breaking Dawn parts.
0: Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it.
1: <laughs> that too.
0: Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first
1: film. We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels. Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings
0: trilogy adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series
1: love these extended editions all the way maybe plus all the mission impossible films based on the 1960s tv series
0: and we've still got at least one more to go
1: members got to hear us chat about the hustler and the color of money adapted from walter tevis's books
0: get all of these books and more at our originals page thenextreelcom slash originals
1: start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Paddington is over. Arr, Arr. He's heading for the roof. London. Stranger danger. Keep your eyes down. There's some sort of bear. Hello. Hello there. Mary. This young bear needs our help, Henry. Help him. It's just for one night. Do bears even have names? My name is... Or perhaps you'd like an English name. An English name? Paddington. 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 Paddington! Sorry.
0: From the producer of Harry Potter.
1: You've literally just
0: brought home a random bear. Mm. He's much more similar than you think. Besides,
1: what's the worst that could happen? Hi, Andy, Pedro. So, uh, we watched Paddington. Yes. For our next big series, we've wrapped up the Galaxy Far, Far Away, and now we're going to Fantastical Merry Old London and Darkest Peru and Darkest Peru, Darkest with an H, uh, to visit a, a wonderful talking bear. Mm. Uh, What do you think of old Paddington? How did we end up with Paddington as the second in our big franchise uh, series season? He's just so adorable. I mean, seriously,
0: how could we not? When we're doing franchises (laughs) and series, how could we not include Paddington? So here's a question. As a kid, did you read many of the Paddington books? I know Paddington is largely a British character. British uh, kids probably read him more than American kids. But did you end up ever reading Paddington as a kid?
1: Absolutely. Um, you did? And okay. So my question for you is, because I my contention is that there are two families. There are families that adopt Curious George, and there are families that adopt Paddington. You're either a Curious George or you're a Paddington. By div- I mean, you can like both of them, but you find affinity with one or the other. Is this like uh, the,
0: the Elvis Beatles thing?
1: <laughs> I heard this. I heard this on Buzzfeed. So, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so everything, are, were I, you, everything I know, I learned from yeah, listening to Buzzfeed. I, I learned on a, a Buzzfeed quiz. So, were you a Paddington or a Curious George? Because I was definitely. Not, I thought Curious George was so stupid, uh, and so. Oh, and I know they're a little you're, bit. Of you're a different, instantly
0: going into that denigrating anyone who was a Curious George like no, me.
1: You you're a Curious George yes you're not a paddington i you. i, I, you I as may a paddington. have
0: well especially with my mom being australian like i feel like it seems like i should have read a lot more paddington but i don't know should have i mean i must have read some paddington as a kid but really like i just don't know like i'm familiar with the character but i i could not i don't know if i ever owned a paddington book i just I, like i I don't know. I don't think that it was something that I regularly read. Whereas Curious George, I I definitely read
1: many, many Curious George books. That's it. That's really interesting. No, and I'm not, I'm not saying that people. Yeah, you are. All right. Is this, this is what we're going to do. You're in my, my weakened state. You've decided to take advantage of me, which is totally on par for somebody who has such a legacy of cheating and, and bullying on the flick chart, uh, member bonus special, which you can find in your member bonus feed anytime. Uh, Andy, uh, I I actually, I, I think today, Curious George is fine. I just always found much more of an affinity. You would think I, w- I like, when I told you when I was a kid, I liked Ewoks. I don't like Ewoks anymore. Somehow, I still love Paddington. I love Paddington. I, uh, a bear called Paddington was a staple in my house, but I think we were, there was one where uh, Paddington, it's like Paddington and the Queen or Paddington at the Palace or something that was also a delightful Uh, book we had uh oh my grandmother used to get me the like paddington pop-up books like they're they're just i we had paddington all over the house so that was that was my that was my young that was my young reads i love paddington so this movie you can imagine um hits me in in the right spot do you know how many paddington books there were Seven thousand. is that amazing and they've sold so more than 30 trillion copies. <laughs> it looks like Pat, it looks like
0: 29 looks like 29 uh Paddington books from 1958 to 2018. The 2018 was Paddington Turns Detective and Other Funny Stories. I'm I don't know if that was uh also written by Michael ba- Michael Bond who had written all of the books um um, he died in 2017 at the age of 91. I don't know if he'd already written it. It was post uh, published posthumously or somebody else came in to finish it. I'm not sure. But certainly had a long legacy of writing the Paddington books. And, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with any of his other series. The Olga de Polga series, the Monsieur Pamplemousse series. Um, I just, i I feel very left out, I suppose, of this of this part of childhood that uh, you know, that that so many other kids enjoyed. Um so yeah, I I I feel like Paddington was there, but never something that I spent much time with.
1: I feel sad about that. I think you should feel sad about that. Yeah. This is gonna be a therapy
0: session uh for today's episode, everybody. So
1: be prepared. Andy. You are loved. You are loved, just like Paddington. You're a family. Of oh, place. Thank you, thank forever, you. Forever, you're the you're Paddington's forever family.
0: I was trying to find an online list of like a ranking of bear like fictional bear characters. I I couldn't find anything other than like on Ranker, which is not. <laughs> it, it only depends on how many people came in to rank stuff. I don't know if this counts, but I'm going to just use it because it is the one that I could track down. Uh, what would you guess? Is the number one fictional bear on this particular thing? Out of we'll just we'll go through the top ten or so. Winnie the Pooh or Winnie the Pooh, of course. Okay, one. then number two is Smokey. No, I you know Smokey is a very American bear, and so I don't know. I w- I would think that um, he's lower on the list because uh, folks who are international are probably completely unaware
1: of him. Okay, so he's not uh, number two. All right, so it, is, it, is it Paddington? No, no. There are, is there another bear? Oh, wait, There's uh, is it a Berenstain bear? Berenstain's on the
0: list, but not that high. Number two is Baloo from The Jungle Book.
1: Okay, no, I'll give him I'll A, whole, give him a that.
0: book series, I mean, just like Winnie the Pooh, yeah. book series and uh, somebody who was animated in Disney films. Number three... Anna barbera oh yogi and uh, yogi bear yeah number four is paddington number five
1: nothing m- more of a puppet a puppet bear yeah uh i don't know what puppet
0: bear is there what rhymes with puppet <laughs> Fozzie. muppet yes yeah, Fozzie. Fozzie is number five Okay. Uh, so those are the top five. From there, <laughs> it's like, you know, things that I, I was like, well, I guess, like Little John from Walt Disney's Robin Hood, Boo Boo, who's, of course, with Yogi, uh, the number eight, Kenai from Brother Bear. It's like, why is that even on the list? Number nine, Smokey Bear. Number 10, the Berenstain Bears. So, uh, Care Bears don't make it to the list till number 12. And one
1: of your favorites, Ted, is on the list as number 14. So. <laughs> hey, he made the top 20. Um, do, can we go back to Fozzie for a second? Is Fozzie first a bear or a muppet? <laughs>
0: well, his name is Fozzie Bear.
1: I don't know. Of are the any Muppets. of these,
0: none of these are actual, like, why is that a question? None of these are actual bears. You're it's like who's more of a bear? Paddington or Fozzie
1: uh, Officer Point. <laughs> <laughs> really you've really taken taken me down a peg <laughs> <laughs> the reason I bring uh, this up is actually Brian's in the chat room uh, if you're a member at uh, truestory.fm slash TNR membership you could jump in and, and chat along with the live stream in our Discord community he asked the leading question is Kermit first a Muppet or a frog and that is my question because to me Fozzie is first a Muppet Kermit is first a frog <laughs> and so with that that bit of like discontinuity I have to let the whole point go because I could spin on this all day and we have a movie to talk about but I just want you know that's where my head is on this you're not gonna say anything to that i don't even know what to say to that okay <laughs>
0: okay oh i yeah so paddington paddington bear uh you know the this series did you take your kids to these in the theaters or were your
1: kids already too old where were
0: you with these movies when they came out 2014 is this one
1: Yeah, we didn't go to the theaters. We saw both of the uh, Paddington movies we saw at home. Um, Yeah, I, you know, my kids, I think my son at this point was, you know, he was eh, introducing himself to superhero movies and things of that ilk. And I, I think going to a movie to see Paddington, he would have felt a little bit old, even though he would have been right in the right spot. And even now, you know, both my kids are... Sweethearts and and Softies and they watch this movie and tear up at the end and, um, you know, just the right way. So um, but but no, we didn't we didn't theater this. Did you? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. My kids, uh, you know, are, are younger than yours. And so it was an easy one to take the kids to. And both of them, really, both of the films. And so, um, yeah, so we saw both of them in theaters, and uh, it was just delightful. They they loved them and still love them, even though I couldn't get either of them to watch it with me, <laughs> this uh, particular go-around. You know, oftentimes they just take the the attitude, oh, I've already seen that. Yeah, I get and that, that's, too. And that's, that's, that's what I get out of that. But I so. have
1: to get these next 20 levels of Fortnite. Yeah, <laughs> right. I it's like I'm right in good. the middle of this game. Yeah,
0: I need yeah, you to go watch right, this right. movie
1: on your phone in the bathroom because I'll be using the TV playing Fortnite real, real loud. <laughs> that's what he—that's kind of stuff he says. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but I—but I do love it, and so I, I had a lot of fun uh, revisiting it. I really enjoy it, um, and I guess we should just say before we jump in, Paddington surprisingly was rated PG at the time of its release for mild action and rude humor. Rude. It's the British. It's because the Brits are so rude. That is that's, true.
1: Yeah, that's and where very
0: the rude comes from. Yeah. Very rude Brits in this film.
1: And so that brings us to our principal performers. Oh,
0: we're going to start there principle for performance.
1: i just want to i only want to start with with one we can go in other directions after there but i have to just say ben wishaw as the voice of paddington uh is and and i don't do you have a, a list and i'm sure you probably do because this is what you do anybody who's ever played a voice of paddington uh in the past do you know any paddington voice
0: yeah uh, i don't have that list handy There have been other Paddingtons there. There have been a bunch of TV Paddingtons uh, from 66 all the way to 2019. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there are a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of them. In fact, a noted voice of Paddington, even for this uh, version of it, the, the dub of it, uh, was uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, yeah, right. uh, current Ukrainian president, that's fun. But Ben Wishaw, for me, in the the British English uh, performance of of this film, is extraordinarily good. He captures all of the heart and sincerity, and uh, I never it nothing that he says in this fantastical universe of his journey from darkest Peru uh, it, it forces me to question the family comedy of it the comedy reality of it. Like, I'm never brought out of it because he goes over the top with Paddington. It is perfectly restrained. And he gets into all kinds of crazy stuff. And his voice has to be essentially the straight man to his physicality. And I think it works very, very well. So in terms of character creation, I am on team Paddington. This is one of the really, really great ones in family animation. What's funny is when uh,
0: when the film was first announced and they were filming and stuff, they had Colin Firth uh, cast as doing the voice of Paddington. And I must have read that somewhere. And then I, I never realized from there till the time I saw the film that he had been um, they just felt like his voice really wasn't suitable for the character so he voluntarily dropped out of the film and they ended up bringing Ben Wishaw on uh, on to do the part I don't think I I, like I must have missed all of that because as I was watching the film that first time I just remember going gosh Colin Firth that's a really interesting like he's doing something with his voice that i can't quite figure out like i totally went through yeah. the whole film like wow colin firth is really pulling something off because like, he doesn't even sound like himself and then of course at the end i was like oh that's because he didn't do it it really threw me that first time uh because i was convinced that ben Wishaw's voice was colin firth like channeling something <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's funny. Well, um, the other voice is the TV show Charlie Adler. This is the 1989 TV show, which is one you might like. Others might have seen, uh, and uh, Charlie Adler was was a, a, a solid voice, um, but uh, Ben Wishaw just sort of became it. What's funny is that I do think in his time. Even in this film, we could have had other actors like Hugh Bonneville and Jim Broadbent conjure that same sort of of spirit of these of, of Paddington. They're just their voices are just too old. But I think this is really fun because Ben Wishaw, like, let's just wait for Ben Wishaw in his 70s to play dad in or sixties or in to play dad in a version of this where a young Ben Wishaw like is playing an animated character. Like it feels like we're looking at his dad in Jim Broadbent or Hugh Bonneville in this movie. In terms of of casting across generations,
0: are you a big? Uh, are you a Wishaw head? Wishaw?
1: Wishaw? What would you Am call I yourself? Am Wishaw head? A a wish? Am I a wisher? <laughs> a wisher? <laughs> um, you know, let's say, uh, I I I'm a I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm a fan.
0: Where did you first? Uh, uh, where did you first encounter the Wish?
1: Oh, geez. You know the the movies I can think of him in that I liked a lot. I I'm almost sure I saw him and didn't think of him as anything in, um, I don't know, maybe the International. I definitely first re- remember him almost immediately as Q. Yeah. But but it's one of those funny ones, like going back to, you know, I just watched Layer Cake not long ago.
0: Yeah. And that's when I saw, but I saw after, like later in my... who he was. Yeah, after I'd already yeah. known who he was. Uh, but stuff like that, Perfume, The Story of a Murderer, I'm Not There, yeah. The International, Bright Star is one where I remember he got a lot of uh, notice as playing John, Ke- John Keats in that film. But really, I guess when I look through the list, it was Skyfall and Cloud Atlas that same year, the first two films that I probably saw him in before I ended up going back and watching any of those other things. And then he's one of those those people who just kind of pops up in a lot of things like The Zero Theorem, The Danish Girl, which we've talked about on the show, In the Heart Mm -hmm. of the Sea, we've talked about on the show. And I always enjoy seeing him. It's just um, he's one of those people who... He never seems to be in big things like taking big lead roles. And that's I don't know. I kind of get frustrated by that because I I find him such an enjoyable performer and I I wish he was doing more. Yeah, me too.
1: And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you did you ever go back and see the personal history of David Copperfield? I didn't. He was in that, and i uh, it's an exceptional movie. I had a blast with it, an absolute blast, but um he's also in that one, and it's the same sort of thing like uh, i I want to see him in more and bigger uh because I think he can i think he certainly can can truck in those movies it's funny uh like you look at the the Danish girl, it very much feels to me like Ben Wishaw and uh, Eddie Redmayne are. I don't wanna say interchangeable, but very have a very similar tone as performers. And it it is curious to me how Ben Wishaw hasn't hasn't taken on more of those kinds of performances like eddie redmayne is taken on they feel like they're of a piece to me
0: well he certainly has been doing a lot of theater and maybe that's why like he keeps yeah. like if you look at the list of performances he's doing in theater like it's a pretty robust list and so maybe he's doing a lot of stuff there interestingly like the most thing in, recent thing he's listed as doing in theater uh was in the the play norma jean baker of troy in which he played marilyn
1: monroe oh fantastic yeah all right interesting yeah. That does seem like an Eddie Redmayne kind of part, too. Yeah. Like, they're going out for the same parts. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, he,
0: regardless, I mean, he has a wonderful voice. And in a film like this, he brings a sense of wonder, a sense of kindness, and a sense of youth that is still looking for new experiences and and, you know, and stuff. And, and I really get a sense of that from his voice. And I can see that Colin Firth... Probably just doesn't have that, and I, I don't know it could be an age thing I mean Wishaw's forty one right now, so he was uh what thirty four at the time he was doing this, and you know i I think that you know it's a it's a a good age i I think that he just feels young and it works well for this character yes, okay,
1: so that's Paddington now, where would you like to go about the movie?
0: I guess the big question is in in the scope of adaptations. This, uh, you know, this uh, Star Wars we talked about, that was the first uh, series that we talked about this season. Paddington is next. And it's it is, as we've already discussed, based on a very, very popular of uh, series of children's books in the scope of adapting something that I mean, these children's books are, you know, they're children's books. They're not very long. They're fairly simplistic stories. And just kind of looking at these adventures that Paddington um, is having. But in the scope of what they're doing here, let's talk about kind of like how they do as far as adapting the story and and like what they accomplish. And are they able to kind of give us a sense of the character from the book without kind of turning it into something else here? Like, for example, the cat in the hat, you know, a Dr. Seuss adaptation that really had to go astray from the book in order to kind of make that into something
1: and kind of went off the rails well i I to me i don't I, I don't feel like they did any real damage to Paddington Bear, right it It feels very much to me that this movie honors and expands the universe of Paddington like i don't I don't recall the you know all of the machinery for making marmalade in the trees. Uh, in darkest Peru. I know I want one of
0: those now in my backyard. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If we could have those in the trees, we have a lot of trees. So I, I I feel like the, um, you know, that that, because the, the way the book starts, I don't, it's been so long, but my sense is that the, the Browns find Paddington with no backstory to the the actual like they we don't go to peru uh very first thing right i i think they're i can't i don't even remember the discussion of of going to peru that's gonna trick me uh i think but my my sense is it's very much the family story first and um and then we get that expanded universe elsewhere um but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that improves it or not. It certainly doesn't damage it for me. I like that. I like the little adventure backstory, you know, that we get early on and that there is, you know, there's a little bit of intensity and, and you know, we, we have the the danger element and we lose the uncle bear and named after his fa-
0: his favorite wrestler. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Pastuso. That was Michael Gambon. His right. Uncle
1: Pastuso. Uncle Pastuso and,
0: and is Aunt Lucy. I love that uh, those those two yeah. that was a great little bit.
1: Well, and it sets up the relationship between Paddington and Aunt Lucy that they um you know with his his letter writing campaign to her to her in the old bears home, the home for retired bears in <laughs> in Lima. Um and so I think that is uh i think that's just lovely so i don't know what's your sense of how they start the adventure
0: well, as somebody who is completely not familiar with the books, it's hard for me to to specify, like, did they pull this from a book? Everywhere that I have looked, it just says the film was based on the Paddington books by Michael Bond. So my sense is that it's not even like they took a story. Like, is there ever a taxidermist that he, ha- he comes up against in any of the books? Like, I don't know if that was ever. I don't know. I don't know. And so to that end, I feel like they probably just pulled a lot of bits and pieces from kind of the the tone of the Paddington books, along with his adventures with the Browns and stuff and and kind of crafted this story and gave us a backstory with with Peru and and all of this. And I, I don't know, I, as somebody who's just not very familiar with the books at all, I just felt like it felt like they were capturing the essence of at least what I knew about Paddington. I, I would love to talk to somebody who's from Britain who grew up reading all of the books and knows the character inside and out to really get a sense as to uh, as to how um you know how well they did as far as kind of adapting from the books. But what we get genuinely feels like a, a story. It's a family film and it feels like they captured the essence of this character who really, it's, it's all about kind of manners and kindness and, uh, you know, these little animal characters in these books, there's all, they're always innocently getting into trouble. Same thing with Curious George and uh and kind of like how they get out of those scrapes, and that kind of becomes an element of them, and to that end, I think they do it well and and also the idea of like this little bear who wants to help and is taking yeah. on uh, i guess in the second film we'll get more of the like taking on odd jobs sort of thing to kind of help, but you know we we get him kind of you know trying to do things at the house
1: and stuff here, and so well i you know to your point i think i I think some of the the pieces of the adaptation that we need to acknowledge well i don't necessarily remember all the machinery of of the woods there are elements of uh that of honor and beats from the books that are important when paddington is found sitting on his suitcase with a tag around his neck right that just says you know please take care of me kind of a thing it's a very special thing for people who love, who really love the series and that we get that moment of discovery wrapped up in all of the other bigger moments in the film, I think is very special. The fact that they go to their house at, you know, 32 Windsor gardens uh, is special because those are like landmarks of the books and all of those, they make really lovely Don't, I mean, they don't do anything to damage the history of the books in so making it a CG experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, I I think that really plays. The fact that they pull it off while making somebody who's never really read the books, uh, you know, feel like it's a, it's a, you know, a hole is, is great. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you brought up another point of the animated, like the CG bear that we have here. They, I mean, they, they purposefully didn't do this as a CG film. It's not animated. It's not another, the next in line of DreamWorks or Pixar or something like that as kind of this franchise that we're going to get in animation. Uh, this is a live action film with a CG bear, which, you know, that's a challenge because when you go that route as opposed to animation, you're kind, you are more grounded in the real world. Yeah. In animation, you can make a more caricaturized bear that feels a little more like the animation styles that you have. I know there's been a number of different animators doing the books over the years. Um, so you could have, you know, pull from any of those different artists doing Paddington and kind of go with that as kind of the animation style. Once you latch on to the real world and you have a real world family playing the Browns and you're set in real London, you now have the challenge of going, okay, Now it has to look like a real bear. It has to, it it can't be this kind of cartoonish bear coming out of the jungle. It needs to kind of have this sense of realism. And that was kind of a challenge. And, you know, I was, I was, I was trying to do some digging on how do Peruvians feel about this whole Paddington character? Like, what's, you know, the constant calling of it Darkest Peru and things like that. I'm like, it just. There's some there's some things about that that seem a little interesting, and uh, you know I I, was, I found some interesting articles about um, you know the Peru and UK relations and and things like that and how Paddington it, they don't bring up a lot in in some of those relations, um, not that not that they're. Genuinely saying much about Peru through these, but, you know, there is an element there, but I was trying to find stuff about it. And you do actually have these, these Andean bears that uh, live, the, the Andean speckled bears do live in kind of uh, this area in in the Andes and, uh, darkest you can, Peru, in, <laughs> darkest Peru. You can find them in Peru. And, uh, there are actual tours. There are these Paddington tours that you can go down, uh, to Peru and take these, uh, tours. So you can go to see, you may not see the bears, but they will take you through some areas where the bears, um, may be found. Um, and some of these are actually like the places like where the Incas were like in Machu Picchu and stuff. And, um, but it is interesting and it does make me wonder how much Michael Bond had pulled from, you know, Things that he knew about uh, these Andean speckled bears when he was coming up with this, um, or if he was just kind of coming up with some fanciful thing in his head. And I think there's yeah. something interesting about that, but regardless, they did have to figure out a bear style, and it doesn't. Paddington doesn't look like the Andean speckled bear, which has a lot more spots and stuff, and spots specifically around its eyes that look like spectacles. He just looks like kind of a little brown bear is what he looks like. But they do a good job, and that that was, I think, a big challenge: is coming up with this character that we're going to buy as something that can be in this real world, and I think that was. An immediate challenge of the film to make it believable so that this whole story could work. Do you find that it worked? Well, he doesn't speak Spanish. He doesn't speak Spanish. He speaks bear. He only speaks English because the explorer
1: happened to come through. <laughs> he speaks English with an English accent, but I just sort of feel like there should be a little bit more of a rolled R occasionally. <laughs> Uh, no, I I think it works very well, but I think it's specifically to the character design or to the to the artistry of the CG bear, uh, you could tell they're really pushing some limits here. I mean, I think you know it it feels in some sequences. There's a particular montage where he, the shower montage, where he's getting a, a bath, and it keeps cutting back and cutting away, and every time it cuts back to him, there's a different f- exploration of digital fur. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? He's. This he's is when the kids are bathing him, not when he's when the in the kids, bathroom by himself. Yeah. No, this is later when the kids are bathing him. He's getting him wet. They're pouring things on him. He's got the wet hair, wet fur, sticky fur, and then good lord, the hair dry, the hair dried fur. Uh, and all three feel like just, you know, a. Um, um, master class in fur dynamics at the time um and and it just it ends up it doesn't end up distracting me i think because i you know if i if i came to it now it 2022 it it might feel a little bit uh, a little bit janky a little bit shiny but looking at it with the gift of knowing where we were at the time um you know it feels Really great! Like it is a great, great character. Yeah, I
0: mean, hair in CG characters really started. They they started really playing around with what they could do with it. I believe in in yeah in in Monsters Inc. From that point on, it has been a, a an amazing evolution. Kind of watching what they've been able to do with CG hair. And every time I watch something else, I'm always that much more impressed because of how they have continued to work on that and, uh, and improve it. And uh, by this point in 2014, it was, it was genuinely quite impressive to see that they pulled off these bears really well. Like when, when there's, when um, uncle pastusto pours the, puts the hat on his head, that's full of marmalade and the marmalade kind of pours down him. Like I, I, I can sense that, like, it just seems like it's working. And so it's very impressive what they're pulling off here. And so, yeah, to that end, I buy into it and I buy that all these people in, in the London area that come in contact with Paddington are interacting with something that is actually there. Like I end up finding it works really well and they, they made it, they made it work. And that's, you know, that was the first big hurdle that they had to uh,
1: come across with this. I, I think of other animal characters, um, when i think narnia came out well before Narnia'd, this one almost yeah, a yeah. decade right our that was our first exploration of aslan and i i remember thinking how great that fur was uh, and so that my uh, i'd have to go watch it i i can't remember I, I know
0: i mean they've done 3 of those and i know they've actually finally they've scheduled the silver chair i don't know i, I was surprised oh. to see that wow it's actually they're going to continue that but aslan that was 2005 and that was, um, you know, just a few years after Monsters, Inc., which was um, 2001. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can see the evolution of that over time. And I'm trying to think, like, what... I mean, Avatar obviously has a lot of different creatures and stuff. I'm trying to remember if any of them but particularly it's a lot of had skin. hair. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah, remember it's a lot of, hairy... like, leathery
1: skin stuff. I don't, I don't remember a lot of furry stuff. Um, uh, so, I, you know, fur is hard. I, I think until we get to weird you know i i think they they set the standard with tully and aslan and then i i don't i don't necessarily think that um paddington uh, doesn't necessarily move anything forward in the in the space beyond what we had been doing there i don't i don't know but it's really good
0: all right so enough about fur let's uh let's let's kind of talk more about the cast so we have the browns we've got hugh bonneville sally hawkins and the kids madeline harris and samuel joslin how do you how do uh, plus uh, mrs bird lives with them julie walters um what do you think of them as a family and how how do they play for you oh they're amazing
1: i i this is it's one of those that really works to me although i have to think you hugh bonneville and Hugh Bonneville and Sally Hawkins. What's their real age difference? Hugh Bonneville was born in
0: 63 and Sally Hawkins was born in 76. So 13
1: years. 13. It's not too bad. It's a you know it's a thing, but I uh, I adore them and I adore them uh, the way they are portrayed the way they give them the backstory where he was a uh, they were bike you know motorcycle cycle riding uh, rebels up as they pulled up to the hospital to give birth to their first child and then they came out as fearful suburban dwellers I thought that was a great transformation um, I think Sally Hawkins is a lovely maternal heart for this movie. She is delightful from her discovery of Paddington, her affinity with Paddington, uh, her adoration of him and her support of him is really great. And Hugh Bonneville gets an actual transformation as the stubborn dad, his uh, reconciliation with his past and understanding that, uh, you know, going forward, it's okay to take some risk and to live his life as a result of his experience with Paddington. This is another one of those change characters, you know, our exploration of all of these characters in the family happens as a result of their transformation in and around Paddington. Uh, And uh, Paddington, Andy, Paddington is Captain America. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He doesn't have to change. (laughs) Everyone changes around him. Wow. (laughs) Uh,
0: So in that end, I guess he's Captain Carter, maybe a little more...
1: (laughs) Seems British.
0: <laughs> You're right. You're right. I, you know, I I do love the Browns, and yes, we haven't really talked about the filmmaking style of this yet, but I love, 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 love the way that King puts the film together. It's incredibly fun. I love this, this fast paced style of, of storytelling, the smartness of using the space around, like when Paddington is at the train station and he's standing under a sign. This is lost and found, but the light for found is broken. And so it just yeah. says lost. And, and then she comes over and she's talking to him. And then she says, why don't you come home with us? And all of a sudden the light flickers on and it says found. I was just like, Oh my God, that's just like, I yeah. love that style of filmmaking where they're taking account of everything in the frame into the way that they're telling the story and that bit with um the the uh, mr and mrs brown when they go to to the hospital is one of the funniest bits in the film where they go in as these hippie lovers and they have their kid. And we're when never going to change, out,
1: right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's totally dressed in a smart suit. The Their motorcycle has been changed for a very sensible beige uh, Volvo. And, you know, he's being super protective. And it's just like over the course of the time they had the baby, it's like playing with stuff like that is just, it's so funny fun and that's like um, you don't get that style of filmmaking um, often enough and I love it when filmmakers aren't afraid to play and to do some of that as they tell their story because it makes for just a fun uh, world that they're crafting and this is a film like you have these tools at your fingertips it's a visual story and yes it's a story there's there's dialogue and, and we're getting a plot and all that. But you have all of these visual elements you can incorporate into what you're doing, whether it's through editing or, or um, what you see in the frame. And so I, it's a lot of fun to see what people are doing with that. I, I really enjoy what Paul King is doing uh, yeah. with the story. And, and I love what he does with the Browns. It's just they're a great family. They work exceptionally
1: well for this. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. Uh, the, the house, I, sh- we should say in terms of, you know, That's let's just. Say the house is alive in a lovely way. Um, the house obviously is a set piece for a lot of big physical stuff, but there is a wonderful. Speaking of being aware of the entire environment, the way the tree grows up the the spiral staircase wall, I think it, I mean, every time I see it, I, just my heart swells. It is just a lovely sort of gas, ga- emotional gauge of the the heart of the movie. And when the leaves all. Flutter away uh, and the the branches shrink you and as you realize things have gotten darker for the browns, I think it's just really touching yeah you're talking about the, it's a painting of it's a, a painting tree that goes, yeah. it goes Thank up you.
0: the up the wall of the spiral staircase up the three stories of the
1: house yeah it's yeah. just awesome, uh, and that's all before we get to our our primary antagonist uh you know on the other side of the um, of of the character unit Nicole Kidman, what do you think of what do you think of Nicole?
0: I love her. I, I
1: think she she
0: clearly knows she's in like this this uh, fun family film, and they're doing something very. She she gets to do something. Um, different, which for Nicole Kidman playing this uh, taxidermist, <laughs> who is the the daughter of this geologist who had gone to darkest Peru, had discovered Paddington's family, and had been so enamored with them that he refused to bring back a specimen, which at the time was what the Geological Society or the Geographers Guild did. They went to places explored. Killed animals, brought back specimens so that they could put it in the museum uh, and put it on display and then have their name there and everything. And he was enamored with the family. As we see, Uncle Pastuso saves him from the deadly scorpion and he befriends them and they befriend him and, and they learn from him. And and that's why Paddington goes to London because of the letter that they had received it turns out she is the daughter of this geog- geographer who had been shamed because he didn't bring back this specimen and um and we kind there's you know all these elements of the story when they go to the geographer's guild etc cetera, etc cetera. but we kind of find this whole story out uh, as the story progresses and that her goal has become to find this bear and to bring him um To her her place where she can skin him and stuff him and put him on display so that she can finally get her her name and in in turn her father's name, uh, the respect that it deserves. And it works well. It works in context of the story, of the way that they set the story up with this geographer right out of the gate. And and we kind of get the whole thing. And I think she's clearly having fun with it. She's she's I don't know. I have a fantastic time watching her in the film. And I think she's just, she's having a great time. I, I just love it. You, you said that. You came into that, though, saying
1: it as if you weren't so sure about her performance. Well, I needed you to verify my own opinion, as I often do. Uh, <laughs> I, I like her a lot. I guess my only question was, the, the setup of the movie is that uh, he, Paddington, And family meet the geographer, geologist, whatever the explorer, and they have an incredibly warm relationship together. And experience geographer comes back, and his entire role model behavior to his daughter is, "I am, I am of such moral character that I, of course, do not kill and stuff this amazing bear, and I am a, I am a good man, right." geographer is a good man and what the daughter gets from that message is i am a bad woman i am going to kill and stuff this talking intelligent bear and i am crazy i don't uh, no disrespect to nicole kidman's performance i think she's amazing uh because she's off she's just off the rails and it's so fun to watch her do that my only criticism is that Like they expect me to fully embrace that character turn that she could be, that she suddenly has such a defense of her dad that she's willing to be straight up evil in the process.
0: where are you getting that she's straight up evil? She, this is exactly what every other geographer does. We get this from the Geographers Guild. You, we have an expectation of you. We're paying you. We're sending you out into the world to explore, to bring back all the stuff, including specimens. Her dad is the one who won't do it. And so she is just in line with all of the other people in the Geographers Guild. She just is looking for, uh, you know, she wants her family name to not be, Um, muddied anymore. She wants to kind of have that respect again. So I don't think ever that she should be seen as a bad person because she's just, I mean, there's a mentality of these types of people who view all of these animals as just nothing more than something to kill and stuff. And I think that she's right in line with all of that. Like, I I just don't think that she's just like, I'm evil and I'm going to kill this bear. Um, It just happens to be a bear that we we get to know and is very kind and cuddly. But if we had gotten to know the little monkey or one of these other animals that she's showing, like the penguins, if this was a story about the penguins that are on display, I mean, that person would be seen as evil. But it's it's not. So I don't I don't know if if she's ever meant to be seen as evil or just somebody who just wants to to clear her father's name, not as the person who ended up getting uh, booted from the geographer's guild and forced to work at a petting zoo.
1: Hmm. I feel like the there is a uh, that that someone who could develop a relationship with talking bears would have offspring that would be able to note immediately before grabbing the scalpel and ready to cut into one of the talking bears that the bear was actually talking to her and that maybe she would stop for a second and say, Holy crap! This bear is talking to me. I should probably present the bear alive to the science guild before <laughs> killing it, and could, and not able to confirm that the bear was talking. Wouldn't that be a, a a better discovery for science? Don't you think? So
0: more like more like Eugene Levy and Splash. He wants to he wants to to show the mermaid to the other scientists to prove his worth
1: yes yeah so that's the that's the piece uh that that i struggle with a little bit it's not and she's she's wonderful and i know i i absolutely can't wear armchairing a family comedy from years ago but i just feel like that's the one criticism that i have with this movie that the evildoer doesn't like they could make the evildoer make even more sense in the wackadoo universe of Paddington than uh, they do. I, but don't you also feel like you know this is this is a family film and and
0: things are a little more broad? Yes. We already have this incredibly kind bear. Why not kind of paint a villain who's just a little more villainous? And I don't know. I just I think she works exceptionally. One of the funniest things, and I think this sets her up. Right out of the gate is when this guy comes to talk to her at the beginning of the film, and he's talking to her about, uh, yeah, there's this bear there, and she's like, what do you mean there's this bear? Uh, did you follow him? And he's like, no, he got away in the thing. Uh, and <laughs> out of the blue, she just smacks him, and she's like, "Oh, sorry," you know. And then we find out she throws the knife into the wall, and we go, "Oh, she's been trying to get these bears for a long time." Like her, the way that she plays all of that, it's just like over the top. So it just, I don't know, it fits in context of this story we're getting. I don't think, I think, I think, looking for for a more nuanced sort of thing may be pushing it into a different type of film.
1: Here's the only thing that makes that rational in my head canon that. Every other animal that is currently on display in the British Museum or whatever is actually a talking animal, and therefore she has no problem killing talking animals, and Paddington is just the next one on the list, uh, but also she's killing a child, right? Like, this is a young talking animal. We've already seen that it has caretakers, so... All of the animals that are currently taxidermied must be talking animals. And that's why it's okay for her to kill this one. And that's why no one else cares that it's a talking animal. I I think that's one of the funniest things about the film. That,
0: like, this is just... It's like there's no... There's nothing weird about the fact that it's a bear. Like, I mean, it's yeah. a little off. Like, people are like, oh, okay, I didn't think that. But nobody's like,
1: wow, that's that's a talking bear. No, what makes they, what they say so is, hard. oh my goodness, give the bear a jacket. That will help clear things <laughs> but, up. No, the, the funniest bit in the whole film
0: for me, in relation to kind of like the scope of people's reactions to the fact that it's a bear, is when <laughs> it's when she, well, there's two, but one is when Mrs. Brown goes to the police and is putting in a report. And she's like, well, he's short and he's very kind and he's got big ears and he's a bear. And the police just looks, the policeman looks at her and just goes, <laughs> well, that I, I just, it fits so many descriptions. It's not, not a lot to go you know, Not on. a lot to go on. <laughs> it's just. That was so good, and then the other one, of course, is when Mr. Brown is on the phone with, right away when they bring the bear home, and he calls his insurance company, and he's just talking, and he's just like, "Well, I just want to check on this and this," and he's a bear, and blah blah blah. He's, oh yeah, he is a bear. Yeah, like he go has to go back. Like he just throws that out there so quickly. It just um, they, they just they play it up so well throughout the film where it's it's never a big surprise, and it just I don't know it fits in context of this world so well.
1: Uh, you mentioned the the cabbie. I didn't mention the cabbie. You didn't. I thought you mentioned the cabbie, where he was nope. talking about. Oh, and I I had a bear in my cab, and I took him over to this place.
0: No, it was the she when she was talking to, um, the guy from the shipyard
1: at the beginning oh, of the film. Right, he right, comes right. to
0: visit her, and and yeah, so it's the guy from the shipyard that she first talks. Well, to.
1: I still want to call out the cabbie because it's Matt uh, Matt Lucas and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Matt Lucas because I didn't realize Matt Lucas was Matt Lucas. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. You know, he's been in, in bit parts. He's been in, uh, he was tweedledee and tweedledum and Alice in Wonderland movies. Um, and, uh, he was in, in Bridesmaids, but I know him and love him as one of the co presenters on The Great British Bake Off, which is so close to my heart, my family's hearts. He's wonderful on that show. He was, I, I have never seen any Little Britain, I've, uh, which was his, um, um, his uh, sketch show uh, that ran for a number of years in the early aughts. Um, I think he's just great. Uh, I, and so it was fun to see him show up in this very, very small part uh, in the spirit of No Small Parts. Matt Lucas. Awesome. Yeah,
0: no, he's fun. Well, and this, you know, to that extent, this film is exceptionally cast. I mean, aside from the Browns and uh, Mrs. Bird and Nicole Kidman, you just have all these other parts. Yeah, and we already mentioned Michael Gambon and Imelda Staunton as the other two bears that we, that we meet in Peru, but there's Peter Capaldi as the nosy neighbor, Jim Broadbent as the uh, the Hungarian antique shop owner that uh, Mr. Gruber that, they, that helps them out, and Matt Lucas, you mentioned, and it's just like all of these faces it just i don't know it works really well as this fun group of people that uh that sell this neighborhood in this world that we have here
1: at some point i would like us to have some sort of a bubble chart that connects like a network graph that connects uh every actor we need to like create this so it connects every actor to all the other properties that they've done of the movies that we've talked about on this show Right. Like the fact Thank that goodness. It, I, I know that seems it, it's super important is what you're saying. Is there uh, a particular person that, that spurred this on? Like, what else have we talked about
0: that that person has been? in?
1: Well, what would you say for Sally Hawkins? Um, Given that we've never talked about the shape of water.
0: I don't know if we've talked about anything of hers. Let me first disabuse you. Never that. let me go. There you go. That's it. In the in the speakeasy, yep. we did talk about that. We did talk about um, that.
1: That's what I was looking Godzilla, at, but I was honestly Godzilla in a film, film board. board. Um I was thinking first about uh, the crossover between Harry Potter movies. This is the Harry Potter singularity uh, experience because I she has not been in the Harry Potter. No, is she that hasn't. What you're saying? Okay, no, saying, I'm not okay. saying that. I'm saying I this whole thing started because I was looking through her filmography to see if she had been in any Harry Potter movies. She uh, has not. Gotcha. Uh, but that got me thinking. We need more charts. Like
0: I, don't, I don't think Hugh Bonneville's been in Harry Potter. But and you Broadbent, think of like Broadbent. You think has. Broadbent has, Julie Walters has, along with the other two bears, Imelda Staunton and Michael Gambon. But yeah, you think of people who are British, and it's it like there is a, a Venn diagram of British actors and British actors who have been in Harry Potter films. And I feel like the ones who fall outside of that <laughs> second circle,
1: it's a very thin line, a yeah, <laughs> very yeah. thin group. So that's the that's the Venn diagram. I think we need to have a constantly evolving bubble chart that <laughs> connects all of the British actors that we've talked about. Yeah, uh, so well, and this—I mean—we should
0: say that you know David Heyman produced this. Uh, this was something that he had been. Uh, I think that he latched onto this fairly early on. I want to say like seven and I mean he was one of the producers on the Harry Potter uh, films like he had had been on and and produced that entire franchise and he came onto this I think oh seven, 7 and it was it took a while obviously for this didn't come out till 2014 uh, for them to kind of get it sorted out like he finished all the Harry Potter films and then kind of jumped into this franchise but I mean he's been doing a lot of other films but I mean he is the one who is really behind this and had been really wanting to make this happen so you have to give him a lot of credit for doing this and i I think that probably because he was um, somebody who had been involved in the Harry Potter franchise that probably gave him what he needed in order to kind of get the um, get the green light to do this. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of credit goes to him. But, of course, we haven't mentioned Paul King as the director who comes on to do this is somebody who um, I think, I mean, we talked about kind of the style that, that was used in the storytelling, but I think that, that a lot of that comes from Paul King and just kind of crafting this, putting it together.
1: Are you are you a king? Uh, uh, oh no. What would you call him? Would he, you call, call him a, 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 a kingdom? Uh I king. Call him you, a,
0: a, we're one of the king's squires or something. I don't know.
1: Oh. Yeah, going yeah. full royal. That's good. No, I like that. Yeah. Are you one of the king's yeah. men? Yeah, one of the king's men. Um I
0: don't think I've seen anything. I mean, he's he has his first film was 2009 Bunny and the Bull. I completely never even heard of that film until just looking at his filmography now. And these two films. Right now he's working on Wonka, which is a new adaptation of It's actually a prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: God, so good. I don't I was just saying I don't think we've had enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> Could we get some others in the queue? It's you know, I'm curious to see what they do with
0: it. Timothy Timothy Chalamet is playing Willy Wonka. Um I don't know. I'm curious. I I I'm not saying it's necessary. And I know he's scheduled to do Actually, I don't know if he's on to direct the third Paddington film. That's going to be uh, Paddington in Peru. But, I i mean, he got his start in TV, and I just, I don't know much of him. Like, I look at his his list of projects that he's done, and I am completely unfamiliar. I'd be curious, again, for any of our British uh, listeners, like, what their experience was with Paul King as a director from his TV work, knowing
1: that he then was signed on to do Paddington. I, have you watched any of uh, Space Force? I haven't. Apparently, he directed two episodes. I um, did watch the first season. Uh, I don't know which episodes. Uh, oh, well, he directed the first episode uh, of season one. He directed the pilot. And, of course, that's why he gets the the credit. Uh, and episode four. And that's one of those shows that's that was funny and probably too on the nose for its own good. And I'm curious what the next season will bring because... Uh, it was maybe too too much, maybe too much. But you can really, I I mean, I I sort of sense the Paul King Kingsman of it. Um, he's uh, it's it's in the King's land, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, it, so it's it's an interesting little show.
0: Did you ever hear of the Mighty Boosh? Because that is a series. No. He did the whole thing, like twenty episodes. He did all twenty episodes, twenty two thousand four to two thousand seven. It's a British. This sounds interesting. The a British comedy television show. Uh, it's a surreal comic fantasy, often featured elaborate musical numbers in different genres, such as electro, heavy metal, funk, and rap. Uh, also known for popularizing a style called crimping, short a cappella songs, which are present throughout all three series. Um, takes place in a surreal universe, uh, following different characters and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, two several characters two eccentric failing musicians as well as Nabu a mystic alien shaman and Bolo a gorilla and Nabu's familiar <laughs> huh okay <laughs> has many animated musical sequences puppets and special effects so i i read something like that and i go okay the style of that is probably what they latched on to to say hey this person might be somebody interesting to tackle
1: something like yeah. this this kids fan- franchise right right yeah. I, I do. I, I count myself as a Kingsman um, and I appreciate his style and tone. This sort of magical universe where nobody cares about fuzzy talking bears, uh, especially right before they taxidermy them, is um, I, I think they just they nailed the humor and the, the just stoicness of it. I, I think yeah. it's I think it's really, really great. It's very sweet. Very it's, sweet. It's very sweet. Do you see any, any of Weinstein's fingerprints in it?
0: You know, that was, that's actually interesting, and it's probably worth bringing up. As far as the production of this, uh, it is produced by, uh, it, I was surprised, it's the Weinstein company. It was actually TWC-Dimension that was weird right yeah i was like dimension that's like their horror line yeah it sounds like that they created that in 2013 uh, as a label to distribute projects of mutual interest
1: projects of mutual interest i don't
0: know what that means i guess mutual interest between the weinstein company and the dimension films but again why is this in dimensions realm in any scope I have no idea, yeah. um, but then uh, several British and uh, you know other companies as well, like Hayday Films, which is um, again David Heyman's company, and Studio Canal, the French company, and TF One Films production, also French. So um, I don't, I, I guess, because of that. Um, stretch of so many different production companies being involved in and in distributing it i didn't get much of a sense of uh, weinstein's fingerprints in it um and i guess maybe that's a good thing and maybe because it's british he didn't feel the need to go in and like do recuts and change it or anything like he has done notoriously for many films that uh, that they brought over to distribute from asia
1: right 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 um i i i didn't either thankfully i did uh i just noted at the beginning it's it's amazing to me how how quickly those impressions change like the moment i saw that logo i was like oh i remember why i already go into this with you know the walls up uh but uh, no i think the movie was just lovely yeah absolutely
0: um i think um they were well. I guess we can maybe talk about this more with the next film. But I think by the time they got to that next film, um, they were dealing with many more issues and yeah. uh, sold the rights to Paddington Two along with other ones um, because they were trying to get out of the the uh, bankruptcy hole that they had fallen yeah. into. So <laughs> smart, yeah. Well, and it's nice that, you know, at least the next film isn't, doesn't have to have that association. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Well, we will be right back. But first, our credits.
1: The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Dupun, Oriole Novella and Eli Catlin Andy usually finds all the stats and the awards at thenumbers.com boxofficemojo.com imbb.com and wikipedia.org find the show at truestory.fm and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews please consider doing that for our show
0: Hey, we didn't really talk about it, Pete, but what do you think about the use of an actual on-screen musicians in films? This film has, I counted, four moments where things are happening on screen and we just pass by a group that happens to be performing the song that we're hearing at that particular moment. In this case, it was
1: D-Lime featuring Tobago Crusoe. I love it. And you had just mentioned that there is uh, that the Kingsman, uh, King, it, it is in the king's land. He just did this comedy show, this British comedy show with musical numbers. This feels right in his uh, in his house. Right. This doesn't this feel like um, Dare I Conjure the name Edgar Wright's sort of style of a of integration of the entire world into the storytelling that goes right back to what you were saying, using the lights, the, the neon light signs above Paddington in the beginning. Like it's just an awareness of not just seen, but sound uh, in the universe. And I really love it. It works so well. I can't believe we didn't talk about it in the, in the main because it's uh, it's fantastic. I
0: love it. Um, I I don't see it used often in films. Um, You know, There's something about Mary comes to mind, um, but I know I've seen some other ones where they keep passing like somebody who's performing. Often it's like somebody in a subway or whatever, you know, and and I but I I think it works really well in context here. Plus, it kind of gives it, um, you know, I mean, it's it's weirdly it sounds like a Caribbean sort of beat. It doesn't really fit Peru or London, but it does kind of give you this sense of a scope of the world. And I I really enjoy that.
1: Yeah. S- certainly the how international the the you know the community is right as yeah, yeah. as white as the browns are um, <laughs> the community is quite diverse yes. yes 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 all right how to do it award season
0: It wasn't a huge awards player, um, interestingly, considering the popularity. It only had three wins with seven other nominations. At the BAFTAs, it was nominated for the Alexander Korda Award for Best British Film, but lost to The Theory of Everything. Likewise, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, but lost also to The Theory of Everything. At the Saturn Awards, we love those. It was nominated for Best Fantasy Film, but lost to, interestingly, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Behind the Voice Actors Awards... We already talked about our love for Ben Wishaw. He was nominated for Best Male Lead Vocal Performance in a Feature Film, but lost to Ben Kingsley as the voice of Archibald Snatcher in The Box Trolls, (laughs) Uh, which is, you know, that's a fun one. I I think uh, I'll be curious to see how he does in Paddington 2. Yeah. Yeah. At the British Screenwriters Awards, it won Best British Feature Film Writing. At the Empire Awards, it won Best Comedy and was nominated for Best British Film but lost to Kingsman, The Secret Service. At the Golden Trailer Awards, uh, nominated for Best Voiceover Over TV Spot but lost to McFarland, USA, and nominated for Best Animation or Family Movie Poster but lost to Minions. Last but not least, it uh, won the Best Screenplay from the Writers Guild of Great Britain. So, yeah, again, you know. A decent showing, I guess, for what the, film was,
1: what the film was doing. Okay, then how did it do at the box office? If it didn't do great in the awards category, surely it made some money.
0: Well, there were definitely expectations with the movie, as King had a budget of $55 million for the fam- for this family film, which is $59.4 million in today's dollars. At the time, it was actually Studio Canal's most expensive film that they had ever produced, which really surprised me when I read that. The movie was released November 28, 2014 in the UK, then slowly rolled out around the world over the next few months, opening in the U.S. on January 16, 2015 where it opened in the number one slot opposite The Wedding Ringer, Black Hat, Spare Parts, and the limited release of Still Alice. The movie went on to earn $76.3 million domestically and $206.1 million internationally for a total gross of $305 million. That lands it with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $2.6 million.
1: That is a great start for this little bear. Oh, that is a great start, Paddington. You're raking it in. Look at all that marmalade. <laughs> you diabetic freak. I, I will tell you, this film
0: started this, this mad passion that I have now for orange marmalade. Oh, it's
1: so good. Do you really? Oh, it's so good. You like I, the I bits, want my own marmalade right? day where I told my wife, I'm like, we just need to have a marmalade day and make marmalade all day. I need to check out marmalade because the last time I had marmalade, the bits of peel in it, I didn't, I didn't care for. Oh my God, I love that. That's the best part all right well closing thoughts oh closing thoughts i'm glad we did this i don't think you could have gotten any more sort of opposite in terms of our second series uh after star wars than paddington bear uh but i think after talking about it he is a worthy successor uh in the uh in the space i'm glad we're getting in a a series of great family films uh and um uh, i'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with it. This is a great movie.
0: I am thrilled, too. I'm just going to say, as a connection to our last franchise that we just talked about, this is the original Star Wars trilogy, we would likely not have this style of Paddington had it not been for George Lucas and the team at ILM playing around with special effects, coming up with what they could do with the digital magic involving Pixar and everything as we saw in the Light and Magic docuseries. All of the work that they started with the Star Wars franchise really evolved the technology, so that we could actually have this Paddington. So look at that.
1: Okay, you're right. You made you made the case. It's all a thread that I'm weaving here. Does it feel dirty to just keep thanking George Lucas for stuff? <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, thanks you, George. <laughs> Misa, don't think so. Okay,
0: <laughs> we'll be right back for our ratings But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie Paddington 2
1: Mr. Gruber, oh, what's this? Ah, oh, <laughs> this is London It's wonderful Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London If she saw this It would be like she were finally here Aunt Lucy Oh, Paddington
0: This is perfect <laughs>
1: I've had a brilliant idea. I'm going to get a job and buy that book for Aunt Lucy's birthday. Hello? Window cleaner? Ow. Are you quite sure you're ready for the workplace, Paddington?
0: It's Phoenix Buchanan. Dad's celebrity client.
1: I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. VIP. Celebrity. (laughs) Or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. (laughs) This pop-up book, where on earth did you find it? Mr. Gruber's antique shop. Stop! Freeze! (laughs) Hold it right there. But I'm not the thief.
0: Mysterious things have been happening all over town.
1: We're rich again. I may look like a hardened criminal, but I'm innocent. We're going to need a foolproof plan. If anyone can recognize a criminal, it's us. He's a master of disguise. What?
0: This is breaking an entering. We haven't broken anything.
1: Where do you think you're going there? Wouldn't hesitate if any of us needed help. He looks for the good in all of us. Ah! Marmalade. Take a seat. (laughs) Come on, Murphy. Wow. All right, it's time for Letterboxd, everybody. If you want to get your own pro or patron membership at Letterboxd, the best social network for movie lovers. They're fantastic and they're great partners for us. All you have to do is use the discount code NEXTREEL or just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxed and you can get your 20% off. Works for new signups and renewals as well. What are you gonna do for your letterbox rating, Andy? Are you are you gonna are you gonna five star heart it? Uh,
0: you know, I always land a four and a half with this one. And I don't know why it very likely fits into exactly what I look for in five star films. <laughs> you know me, but it, it I still end up kind of feeling like four and a half feels really good with this one. So four and a half and a big, big heart for Paddington. How about you?
1: Well, Andy, you know who I am, right? <laughs> Pete, no half stars, right? Pete, no half stars, right? Therefore, the question is not four or four and a half. It's Four or five. And that is very clearly a five for me. I, I, the more I watch this movie, the more I like it. And I love that feeling of coming back to movies and, and, you know, having nice room, nice headroom to keep saying that they're, they're great. I think when I first watched it, it was four. There was a time where I was a half star guy, like a, a real half star slob. And I was four and a half. <laughs> and, and now, now that I'm no half stars, uh, it's definitely a five and a heart. So uh, there you go. It's an easy one to love that is for yes. sure
0: well everybody don't forget visit thenextreel.com slash letterbox. you can get your patron or pro membership over at Letterbox, and as pete said it works for renewals as well so what did you think about paddington we would love to hear hop into the show talk channel over in our discord community where we will be talking this week about the movie when the movie ends our conversation begins
1: Letterboxd giveth, Andy.
0: As letterboxd
1: always doeth. I've got a long one. I, I have not that long, but it is a half star. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well,
0: why don't you kick things the, off?
1: Okay. Uh, all right. This comes from Clementinings. <laughs> <laughs> I-D-E-K where to begin. I'd rate this zero t- stars if given the generous opportunity. This movie is unrealistic and cruel. No bear talks, wears clothes, or does humanely activities. It's sickening. It's wrong. Whoever wrote this and produced it need to be looked into by 350 different therapists before being allowed to make another movie. If this movie was shown in cinemas without any censoring, I fear for what is to come. Ever since I have seen Paddington, I've had a strong urge to violently throw up. This review is even difficult to type as I throw my phone in absolute rage every time P-apostrophe-dington came up. It doesn't even look like a bear, because no bears walk on two feet. This movie and its fans need to be thrown into space and never mentioned again. (laughs) Wow. And it has three likes. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it does. Well, I went uh, high.
0: I, I went high in popularity and ratings. Four stars by Izzy, who had this to say. Paddington is sad. Saddington. Paddington floods the house. Baddington. Paddington (laughs) loses his mind. Maddington. Paddington starts a family. Dowdington. Paddington (laughs) offers to buy the next round. Absolute Laddington. Paddington, but only a bit. Just a Taddington. Paddington (laughs) replaces the current actor to play Olaf in a Frozen sequel. Josh Gaddington. Paddington accidentally <laughs> headbutts Emma Stone Super Paddington Paddington does a flip on his pastel blue penny board in d- downtown Cali with the sound of the ocean breeze filling his ears the palm, as the palm trees sway in the wind and trace his yin yang wrist tattoo Raddington Did I regret starting this because I can't find a good place to stop you bet your assington okay that didn't work my baddington <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's adorable almost as adorable as the movie itself uh. And there are so many really negative reviews. And they all do that thing, like throw you up into space if you like this movie. Like, uh, he, he's not funny. What brain rot do you have to to like this? It's a weird like place it's to go. Pe- people and talking bears. Okay. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022...